Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on driving innovation, how to foster a culture of innovation within your team. In it, you'll discover how to set a context for innovation, why culture is important, and how you can influence culture, as well as what you can do to foster innovation within your existing team and develop processes to cultivate innovation. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 310. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and I am really looking forward to today's conversation. I think I'm going to learn a lot. Um, Our guest today is the founder and president of Two organizations, the first one is GovCon Winners, which helps service-based small businesses learn how to win government contracts. She also runs K-Parks Consulting, where she provides services directly to the government herself. She has been awarded over $50 million in federal government contracts, so she knows what she's talking about. (laughs) And she's based in lovely Miami, Florida. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kizzy Parks. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the warm welcome. I am really looking forward to our conversation today. I just shared the high-level bullets about you, what people could get from your LinkedIn, but I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Maybe talk a bit about the journey to where you are today. Yeah, you know, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I just had no idea that it would happen in the last month of my PhD program. <laughs> so, I had no idea. So I thought I would work in industry and much later in my life, I would start a business and consult for someone and be this entrepreneur. And instead, um, right before I earned my PhD, I was a graduate research fellow at now Patrick Space Force Base in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. And I was providing research analytic skills and I was asked to stay on as a contractor, which Mm -hmm. basically meant I received my first subcontract. And so in that December, right before I earned my PhD, I decided, hey, let's do it. I took a leap of faith and, Mm -hmm. you know, almost 14 years later, I've still been in this space. And so I've since expanded what my firms offer the federal government, but the bulk of our focus is on federal agencies. That makes a lot of sense. And I I love the the way you just tell that story in terms of um, how you know your timeline accelerated quite a bit. That's that's a big leap of faith when you've invested all of that time, energy, and money basically in in getting your PhD to um, to you know immediately uh, pursue a, a different focus um, with what you were doing. So that must have been um, quite the quite the move, but obviously it's paid off. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely paid off. It's, I mean, never in my wildest dreams would I imagine that I have over 50 team members, multiple government companies, and that we, I mean, we have the greatest life. 
and that we are able to help different agencies with their missions. Mm-hmm. It's our way of, of serving this great nation, but just through this path of being government contractors. Absolutely. I love that, that philosophy. And that ties to um, how I feel so many people in government, um, the, the staff workers, nonpartisan, um, just really committed to doing their job and helping people. And so much of, of the government is focused on that. So to be able to help them with their mission must be really gratifying. And then the fact that you work with so many different areas um, must also make it really interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's never, no two efforts, clients, nothing is alike. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find so fascinating because, you know, your listeners may wonder, what is it that you even offer? What do you do for these agencies? And we offer a variety of services. The federal government really likes that term. So for those of you that are unfamiliar, services is basically a term for you provide people to do things for the government. Mm-hmm. That's basically what it means, is that you're providing people to augment the government. So it could be you're providing firefighters. It could be that you're providing pilots. It could be you're providing curriculum developers, people who scan your IDs, people who answer the phone, people who clean buildings. It doesn't matter what the service is. <laughs> it's all around a human being. Mm -hmm. It's a person and then they work for you. And so it's really cool because we just do so many things. And we also provide um, very few products, but sometimes we'll sell different tech products to the federal government. Um, But it's, you know, no day is alike for my team. Absolutely. So because you have all of this expertise in selling into the federal government, um, I'm sure the the reason you probably started uh, GovCon winning is because so many companies want to do this and they don't really know how. And I know one thing that that we've spoken about before is that there are a lot of common misconceptions that leaders have as they're thinking about, okay, maybe I want to develop a new division or a new um, vertical that's going to focus on selling to the federal government. What are some of those really common misconceptions that you hear from leaders? Oh, goodness. You know, you have to have a set aside um, to get into this work, right? As far as what, how to win the work, correct? Those kind of misconceptions. Mm-hmm. You know, they also think, you know, you have to have some kind of set aside. You have to be a minority. You have to be a woman. You have mm-hmm. to, you know, be retired military. You have to be married to someone in the government. It's It's almost like, you know, when we... There's something we should do in our life, like working out and, mm-hmm. and, and maybe we're prescribed or strongly encouraged to like work out. <laughs> and then yeah. we like come up with all of these excuses like, oh, my gosh, there's so much traffic. I don't really know what's going to happen <laughs> when it comes to COVID. Are they, I don't know about the hours. Do they have childcare? Is this I don't know if I'm going to feel comfortable. What am I going to wear? I don't even know what you do. How to use this equipment? And so. That's how I see government contracting is that usually it's people start from this place of it's just fear of the unknown. So because they don't really understand it, like the gym, a gym can be intimidated. I mean, I work out six days a week. I understand. I wasn't always like this, but a gym can be intimidating. Federal government 
contracting can be intimidating. So therefore, people start off with this batch of misconceptions. And the thing is, none of those are true. The bottom mm-hmm. line is the federal government is just like all of us. They have a problem. They need a solution. If you can provide it for them and you're not a pain in the butt, chances are they might want to work with you. I mean, it's I'm, I'm really, you know, boiling it down here. But that's basically how it works. It's just that there's so many opportunities that also adds to this confusion. Oh, I don't know where to start. What do I offer? You said you do services. I don't know if I want to offer firefighters. Okay, you don't have to offer firefighters. (laughs) I didn't say you had to do that. It's just that there is a plethora of opportunities, but it's Mm -hmm. about understanding how the approach to find them, to bid on them, and to ultimately win them, which is key. It's just removing that fear through understanding. Absolutely. That makes so much sense. And it's funny when you use the example of working out, because I remember um, my one of my cousins went to the same college that I did, and we decided to make an agreement one semester that we were going to go to the gym together. And Every single time we were supposed to go to the gym, one of us had a great excuse. It's raining. It's snowing. I have a big project I have to work on. And we did not go literally a single time. So if you want an excuse, you can always find an excuse, whether it's, you know, working with the federal government or going to the gym that's free for students that for some reason I never went to. So I I know that you know, the way that you're explaining this, um, it sounds simple. And I'm sure a lot of it is, but there have to be some challenges and some things that are real that companies face. So what are the kind of stumbling blocks that companies run into as they're as they're making this move? There are several. Number one is they misjudge the amount of time it takes. Mm. So I was very fortunate in that I started off with a subcontract, but that didn't mean I had some kind of great advantage. It's not that once I got it, all of a sudden I received the keys to a closet full of government (laughs) contracts and money. It just meant, okay, I got a contract. And then it took time. It took Mm -hmm. several years to figure things out. So number one is it takes time unless one is willing to take what I call more of the entrepreneurial approach. Mm-hmm. So I'll just give a quick example. So I'll come across those. So here's a great example of this gentleman. He does a lot with like Cisco and IT, and he, he wants work where he can get the work, his existing team members perform the work, and this is all for a government agency. Mm-hmm. And that sounds amazing. But chances are he's not going to get any of that kind of work anytime soon because that involves a high level of trust as well as there's different requirements in that type of work that I'm unsure if he's able to be competitive with. Mm-hmm. It just is the nature of that kind of work. So then there's what I call the entrepreneurial approach. And that is you bid on things, services, products, where... It may be outside of what you do, but perhaps you love sales. You love being an entrepreneur. You love the ability to make money regardless because you're like, hey, it's the federal government. Why not? So therefore, if one is interested in taking that path, 
it opens up a whole world of opportunities such as flipping hotel rooms, um, reselling different IT and other products like books to the bureaus of prison. It involves going into a space where very few go, such as religious positions. Like for instance, we have um, a Catholic parish team member in Hawaii, and we've had numerous religious positions on our team. Nobody talks about that with the federal government. You don't hear IBM or Lockheed Martin talking about that. And I'm not suggesting that they have these kind of positions, but I'm also not suggesting that they don't have these type of positions. Mm -hmm. So it's all about understanding that if you kind of stick within your niche, chances are it may take you a lot longer than if you go outside of the box and you create your own ocean and you bid on these kind of unusual opportunities where you're still going to be profitable. Absolutely. And that, that profit makes a lot of sense. I think that's that's really counterintuitive advice because so often we hear, oh, don't try to do too many things. But like you said, if you have that really specific specialty, it is going to be harder because you're you're trying to basically find a puzzle that your specific piece fits into, as opposed to saying, you know what, I understand the skill set of all of my people who are able to work on Cisco projects and this specific kind of IT thing. What's a tangential area that they could focus on using those same skills, using the same background, the same expertise, and I'm able to provide service and fill a specific contract? That makes a lot of sense. And I could see that as a really common misconception. Related to that, I would imagine that there are people who think, well, I need to have a specific case study of where I've done this before in order to win the business, which leads to really sticking into one area. Is that something that you often run into? Many believe that. Mm -hmm. And in some situations, that may be the case. And the reason I say some is that there is this evaluation kind of criteria the federal Mm -hmm. government uses to award bids. Not all the time. So it's a case-by-case situation. Mm-hmm. So I would say it depends. Um, from my experience, not always. Um, I mean, our first $4 million sole source contract, I didn't have any experience doing what they asked for. Wow. I mean, I mean, a little bit, like training, but it was more than training. It was staffing. There was IT. I had. To, there was a huge pot of travel money that needed to be managed. I mean, I had done some of those things. I traveled using travel dollars before. I had trained. I had um, a few team members train for me as subcontractors. But it was the first time that I went from two employees to almost 10 overnight. Mm-hmm. And so, but there was something about me And what I presented to them that really resonated with them, and actually they've been a client for almost 10 years. I mean, yeah, for almost 10 years. Wow. (laughs) I had to double check. It's crazy (laughs) because the time went by so fast. It really does. Yeah, but then there's there's the flip side too. Like for instance, I mean, this is going to sound crazy, but I saw procurement for human cadaver training. Okay. (laughs) And so, you know, on the surface, okay, you find trainers 
who can teach kind of medics to, you know, perform different approaches and techniques on human cadavers. Okay, that's plausible. However, you also needed to provide five human cadavers. So, you know, that even if somebody's like, hey, I'm open, I don't know, maybe they they find somebody they can get the human cadavers for. And they're okay with that. And they figured out a way to mark it up and they want to make a profit. Why not? You know, but, but at the same time, they're going to need a little of experience. So you're going to have to partner with someone in that kind of situation. Right. Definitely. Right. And you have to bring on the right type of trainer and make sure you have everything that they require because that's a very high stakes kind of contract. We're not speaking of just, Hey, we need you to, provide leadership training. This is way more high stakes. Definitely. I consider myself a pretty experienced professional. And if somebody told me I need to acquire five cadavers, I would have absolutely no idea where to start. So that's a, that's a really great point of just thinking about, um, thinking about, you know, the, the level of complexity and how might things be related? Because I would imagine, I'm going to keep probably coming back to this example of the IT consultant, because that's a space we, we frequently work with companies in that space. And if you have experience and success stories and case studies that aren't 100% matching, You can still provide those to demonstrate, you know, this is how we customize our approach. This is how we manage projects. This is how we report to to our clients and provide status updates. And a lot of times the difference makers when it comes to winning business aren't necessarily the specifics of, um, of what it is that you can demonstrate expertise in, but your your approach and the mm-hmm. way you deliver the work. And companies really, you know, I, I'll say on the, on the business side, because I know that one better, um, companies really value that. And, and I'm, what I'm hearing is the government does as well. Yeah, they definitely do. They want to see a track record. Yeah, they and it doesn't want have to, to be the same one. Right, it doesn't. Because it's what you said earlier is spot on is it's not about you being that that you're a puzzle piece and you're looking for that puzzle. It's more of you're like silly putty mm. or slime because slime's really popular <laughs> right now. You're both. You're one of them, whichever is your favorite. That's <laughs> what you're really like. And so it's then up to you as an entrepreneur to decide – do I really want to take this on? Because mm-hmm. like, for instance, for us, you know, like going back to the religious example, there you can staff priests. There's several openings for priests all over the world. Hmm. I've told my team, I feel uncomfortable doing that. And I said, yeah. we will never bid on a priest position. It's just mm-hmm. my decision. So we don't bid on them. But you may have no issue with that. And so Mm -hmm. that's what's great is, hey, I never thought in my life I would bid on religious positions, let alone ponder bidding on a priest, but you can. And so that's where it goes back to being silly putty. Maybe your passion is in um, sales and sales training, but you're like, hey, I would, that would be kind of cool to staff priests all over the world. I want to learn more about it. Okay, well, there's a market for you. 
Absolutely. And I love that example of, of just drawing a line for yourself. And that has to be really important as you grow your organization, when you're not the one making every decision along the way, uh, to make sure you've kind of identified those red lines so that um, your team members don't uh, go past what you would like them to do. Yes. It's key because it's so easy mm-hmm. to to stray and there's so many different types of uh, opportunities out there. Mm-hmm. Something that, that this is kind of reminding me of is um, I, I never know stats off the top of my head. I'm terrible at that. But there are some people, and, and this is most common in men, um, but who feel comfortable applying for a job if they have 50 to 70% of the listed criteria for the position. And then you'll often find that others, and this has been in the research that I saw, they were comparing men and women, people who feel like I can't apply to something unless I have 100% or more (laughs) of the expertise. And so you're seeing people kind of creating an unnecessary level of of competition kind of within themselves. And they're making it up and they don't necessarily realize that it's not being imposed on them by others. They're kind of making that choice. It is. It is because especially in the government contracting space, because in some situations, it boils down to what's called evaluation criteria. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the number one criteria is price. Mm -hmm. So, I mean... If you're cool with that, why not? They're telling you, this is what we care about. This is what we care about. And so if you're comfortable going that route, why not? Now, if the criteria is you need to provide, um, for instance, certain information about benefits package and your latest financials and you need to allow them to have a site tour. And maybe you're like, whoa, I'm not even anywhere near that. Okay, then that's not an opportunity for you. However, it's not about meeting every single one of them to a T. It's about where you think you're competitive. Mm-hmm. That's what government contracting is all about. It's, all, it's, it's, like a, it's like a sport. You know, you don't have to be the greatest team to win. You just need to win the game. You just need to win that contract. Absolutely. So we've talked about um, kind of misconceptions and challenges, and I know we've started to get into this already, but I'm going to state it still as a specific kind of direction of conversation. Um, Let's say a company is interested in getting started with pursuing federal contracts. What are some of the key best practices as they're kind of starting out with that? Okay. The first one that I tell everyone, are you able to pay your bills. Mm -hmm. If you're able to pay your bills, whether you are, you have a full-time job and you want to work the government space at night, you have, you know, another person in your life who's able to, to pay the bills, you have savings, you're bootstrapping. If the answer is yes, then we can go on to the next point. (laughs) So that's the first thing you have to ask yourself. The second thing is there's, Systems where you need to get registered and often people jump to that and I say you don't do that. Instead, you want to take a look on Sam, like Uncle Sam, 
sam.gov and there's mm -hmm. a section that'll say search opportunities and you just kind of take a quick glance you know mm -hmm. play around maybe find a video a youtube video or a little tutorial because you want to see what are these opportunities like and to determine if they are for you because what i see is this someone is in a field, it could be marketing, it could be accounting, it could be IT, and they are in the commercial side, or they're in the state and local. So they think, hey, I'm killing it here in Texas. So clearly, federal government, get ready, I'm coming for you, right? <laughs> and I'm like, that's great. But that's not how the federal government works. Like, it's not about what you've done for Google, what you've done for Walmart, what you've done for the state of Texas. It's about your ability to really understand and maximize how the federal government works. So you mm -hmm. want to look at the opportunities because you may find, despite what you heard, oh my gosh, these really, this isn't exactly what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to go through all this time to get registered. And then six months later, you're like, man, that was a waste. <laughs> you don't want to do that. And so then the third thing is, if you're like, hey, I, let's just do it. I know it. I'm, I saw it or I don't even need to see it. I'm an entrepreneur. I want to run with it. Then register in SAM and, um, you know, start pursuing opportunities and to connect with people like myself to pick up tips because mm -hmm. there's a lot that you must really understand because federal government contracting is not linear and every opportunity is different. So like quickly, we just bid on something with one of my amazing GovCon um, winners, beta clients. And it was lowest cost technically acceptable. And mm -hmm. the work is in Hawaii and he lives in mm -hmm. Hawaii. So I intentionally went as low as I could go because I knew this would be a great opportunity for him. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? We did not win. The person who won, their bid was about $18,000 less than ours, which when you hear that, you, sound, you think, wow, that's a lot of money. But when you break it down, it's five years worth of work. And each year you provide a different level of service. So in mm -hmm. reality, this $104,000 contract that this person won is really only a few thousand dollars a year, mm -hmm. right? Plus they have to factor in travel. So when I look at that, I immediately think, Does, did this person really understand what they won? Do they mm -hmm. really understand what they have to deliver? Because there's printing, there's assessments, there's travel, there's this, there's that. And so while they met the requirement of having the lowest cost, there's also the flip side to it in the federal government. And that's what you also have to think about, too, is not only meeting the requirement, winning the work, but also performing the work. Because now it's about, well, how much profit's really going to be made off of something like mm -hmm. that? What happens if that agency says, you know what, we, we liked your training, the first three you gave us this year, I don't really know if we want to do any more training. 
okay, so then your contract, you only maybe was paid out $40,000 or Mm $30,000. So there's a lot of these little nuances and things that go into it. So it's not linear. And you also have to think about what happens after you win the opportunity. Absolutely. That makes so much sense because I see it happening, um, you know, in the corporate space as well, where especially um, startups and other newer companies feel like I should just take any business I can get. And so even though you're saying stretch yourself and don't put yourself in a box, you're also um, you have that focus. You've got to you've got to be able to make a profit. And if you can't make it work. Um, you're not going to be very successful. And no. I would imagine that sometimes it might make sense to um, to have a loss leader where you're going to, you know, sell, you're going to bid anything you can to get a contract just so that you can start to build relationships in a certain space or just for another really specific purpose. But that's very different from looking up after and realizing, oh my goodness, I can't deliver this and make a profit. Right. And even in in that's an interesting space, too, is kind of taking the loss or breaking even to build a relationship because you never know what the government is going to purchase or like specifically what that agency is going to purchase. Mm -hmm. So just because they purchased IT staffing or IT services or IT software from you doesn't mean they want or need any more of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then, so you have to think about that. And that's, that's a very interesting space because people think that they think, okay, I'm going to lowball, or I'm just, as long as I break even. And it's this very weird kind of taboo where people don't talk openly about their profit. I find those that are very entrepreneurial We'll talk more about it and those who are very typical government contractors because on average people will add like a three, a one to three percent profit to their work. Mm-hmm. They're going to be way less likely to share their big number uh, profits out there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is very interesting, but profitability is key. You have to be profitable. That makes so much sense. And, you know, to what to what you were saying, that, again, drives home the importance of really looking at the opportunity and evaluating it strategically. If you, for example, um, are experts, we have a client that does this in um, user experience and improving user experience, uh, quite often on websites, but other places as well and you decide that you're going to focus on one specific agency, if they only have one website and you optimize the user experience on that website and they put you in the box of that's all you do, then they're going to say that was nice, that was great, and there's nothing else because you already did it. Versus if it's something that's viewed by them as evergreen or if they have a chance to experience different aspects of your offering and um, see that you you know are more than that one specific thing, uh, which can be great motivation for them to to want to work with you on something else. Yeah, definitely. I mean the the kind of the approach that we've taken is depending on the client will introduce something. Mm-hmm. So we may say, 
you know, um, I heard you're looking for some kind of assessment. You know, we have people on our team with PhDs. They have experience. We have different software. You know, if you need us to give you an example or something of that sort, we can do that. Or um, for another client, we tout, hey, we have six extra people, what we call on the bench. Mm -hmm. So when you're ready to expand the number of full-time equivalents, we are already ready. We have Mm -hmm. the people here. And, and so um, we do it in that way to grow our existing work, to bring on new work where it's completely kind of outside of our main contract with that agency. That's always an interesting play. Because Mm -hmm. the one thing, and this is where people make a big mistake, and that is you don't want to be oversaturated in one agency, which Mm -hmm. is so counter. Everybody out there teaches you, you focus on three agencies and you only bid on those three. No, you don't do that. Because what happens is, why are we working with them? Why Why do all of our contractors work for, you know, HSC Consulting? Why does everybody work there? Is there no other other, there's no other government contractors? So then they start questioning because it comes across like you have a monopoly. Mm -hmm. And in this country, we don't like monopolies, right? Even, and I'm not saying you have a monopoly. It's that perception, right? Perception is reality. So you have to balance because if you come across like you're constantly trying to infiltrate the agency they're not going to like it unless your name is IBM, Lockheed Martin, Deloitte. That's different. But none of us are those companies. And unless you're them, it doesn't matter. They're going to start to question. And they're, and then you have to be careful because you can start losing contracts because people start to talk. Why is all of our money going to them? That makes so much sense. And um, we see, again, there's so many similarities to the to the corporate side, because you'll see the same thing happen in um, in organizations, you'll have one client that's providing the vast majority of the revenue. And then maybe somebody new gets hired at the company, or um, there's some sort of cost cutting initiative, or there's, um, you know, anything. And one of the first ways that especially new people want to make an impact is to say, I have a new vendor I can bring in that's going to be better than our current one. And just the fact that it's different can be a motivation enough for them to be willing to make a change, especially, again, if you're seen as too enmeshed and yes. um, and and kind of sucking them dry, basically. <laughs> they're, they're often, you know, people get bored, they get... Um, they get frustrated, they get maybe even resentful, um, feeling like you're just trying to make a profit on them. And mm-hmm. it, it ends up not, you know, you end up doing a disservice to yourself by, by doing that. That is so true. It happens all of the time. Um, and you, you just have to be very careful. And to balance that, it's getting on what's called government contract vehicles or government-wide Um, acquisition vehicles. Um, It's bidding on opportunities with obscure agencies or just different agencies. That really helps 
Plus it balances out your discussion with your major clients Mm -hmm. because then you can talk about, Hey, did you know we recently won some work with, you know, fill in the blank agency could be the office of retrial. I mean, I'm making that up. There is an (laughs) office of something with trials, but and then they're going to be like, oh, wow, that's oh, OK, that's great. So then it shows them that you're 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 not just reliant on them. Absolutely. That's a really great example. And that's something I, I would, there's a couple of things there. Right. If you're targeting a more obscure, little known agency, likely they don't have 50 people applying for every contract or 100 or however many a big number is in this space. Um, there might be a smaller number. and. Um, so even just with that, you're potentially increasing the, the chance that you might get that opportunity. And I, I really love that idea of making sure that as you're working on a variety of projects, that you're sharing those stories with your existing clients. Because something we often see is, let's say you do A, B, C, and D, and somebody hires you to do B, they will likely think the only thing you do is B. And you have to tell them, I also do A, C, and D. And one great way to do that is to tell them stories about projects that you recently did, you know, of the A, C, and D type, um, as opposed to just the B type. And a lot of times you don't even realize that they've kind of typecast you into that role. Um, and, And the way they think about you when it comes to working with them, as well as anybody else they talk to, is going to be specifically about the only experience they have, which is B. And so they might be even spreading an inaccurate view of what it is that you actually can provide um, just because you haven't like opened their eyes to the other things that you can do. That is correct. And you, and, and it's constantly being in this client relations role or having someone in that role. Mm-hmm. So I have a team member who's doing that because I don't operate any of my companies. I'm focused a thousand percent on GovCon winners and Lori Davis, um, who's a, our director of getting things done. She is a wizard at client relations and making sure everyone is aware and always exceeding all expectations and making lives easier. And then that really helps pay off because then it comes, then who we are, the culture mm-hmm. comes across So then we, once again, are viewed as different. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want because many government contractors are so focused on, can we add more to the contract? What other kind of work do you have? Can't you just give me some work? I mean, the things that people say (laughs) and share with me, I'm like, wow, you're very, um, very assertive and confident there. I mean, it just blows my mind. And you know, nobody wants to work with somebody like that. So we take a different type of approach. And then as a result, when we make a request, it's because it's in the best interest of them, mm-hmm. not us. Or the agency will see, you know what? We know KPC has never in their life provided a warehouse team person. But you know what? let's see if KPC can find us a warehouse team person. And we did. Mm -hmm. And so that's something else that's important. So you're not just solely focused on the bottom line and try to squeeze all these taxpayer dollars out of an agency. It's not going to work out well. 
Absolutely. And uh, that gets into a lot of the the misconceptions. um, And sometimes, unfortunately, they're accurate that people have that that just like normal people have about what it is that government contractors do. And we've all heard stories of, you know, a $10,000 toilet um, that that got purchased and and all of these other crazy things. And you definitely don't want to be the subject of one of those stories. <laughs> so right. figuring out how you can add value, how you can be a good partner um, in a respectful way that that you're not trying to take advantage of anybody. Um, that that should be inherent because uh, if not, it's it might work out in the short term and, and you sell them your $10,000 toilet, but long term, you're you're burning yourself. And mm-hmm. um, that's it's definitely not a space that you want to get into. You're not you're not you know, crawling to the bottom that you don't also want to be be racing to a ridiculous top that doesn't make sense. Right. You don't whatsoever. It's not going to pay off at all. And, and there have been stories, um, especially during COVID that I'm thinking of, of vendors who got contracts that they weren't even qualified to fulfill. And certainly um, just it sounds like there's a lot of balance that you need to strike between um, being confident and venturing out sometimes beyond your beyond your experience, but not so far that you're getting yourself into trouble or you're making it unlikely that you're going to be able to to serve your client. And it sounds like um, one key element of that for you was was hiring somebody on your team who helps to um, I would imagine scope out. And, and approve the various projects that you work on. Yeah, it's been so vital because my entire approach and mindset shifted mm-hmm. where what I help, how I help people in this space is based on what I've learned, all the information I've taken from those who mentored me and I found worked for me. And early on... People, business owners, when I say people, (laughs) usually (laughs) those that were two to 30 million plus a year, uh, Orlando area, Tennessee, Alabama, DC, all over the United States. And often they would say, you bid, you bid often, be, you know, check out your rates. And they would, they would focus on things like that. Like, bid, bid, bid. You want to get on these schedules. And I didn't know what any of that meant. I didn't know what they meant with race. I didn't know what they meant with schedules. I was just like, okay, you bid. And so if someone said, hey, you want a partner? Oh, let's do it. Or I would see something, hey, let me do it. And I remember during this process, I drove literally from Melbourne, Florida to Jacksonville, Florida. And I met with this kind of a small business um, PTAC kind of professional in Jacksonville. And he, at one point in time, worked for a government contracting firm, which was, which is, you know, sounds weird, but it's rare. Typically those in a connected to the federal government who's providing you guidance has never kind of worked in this space. Mm-hmm. So I was like all ears and he broke it down to me. And I remember him saying that, When he worked for that firm, they would focus on a handful of opportunities every year. Mm -hmm. And they knew, let's say there were five. Of those five, they knew they were going to win three. 
And that's what they did. And it was there, it stuck with me. And it was like recently where it really hit me. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what we need to do is not just focus in on the three that we know we are going to win, but grow what we have. Mm -hmm. Because too many in the space of government contracting, they're focused on, I want that $10 million. I want that $100 million. I want that contract where I can brag to my friends and family. And instead of focusing on what they have or trying to win a bunch of small ones. So that big mentality change has led to the increased value of Lori's position because Mm -hmm. our emphasis is on making our clients' lives easier, making our team members' lives easier, and growing existing work because it's a lot easier to get second money than to get first money in a sales setting. Mm-hmm. And so I just really encourage it with more people instead of just playing the numbers, which, hey, if it's a product, maybe that's a little different. You know, if you're selling books and electronics and pancake mix, I understand that. But when we're talking more services, you know, it's something where it's you, you want to focus on your clients, too. Absolutely. That that makes so much sense. Well, um I have loved talking to you today, Kizzy, and, and I'm sure our listeners have really um, found a lot of value in the, in the best practices and stories and examples that you shared. Do you have any specific resources that you would recommend to our listeners? It can be um, very much related to what we've been talking about today, or if you have any other recommendations, we're always willing to, to hear those as well. Yes, I recommend that you definitely, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I have a very forthcoming, you know, no BS kind of approach when it comes to government contracting. So I'm Kizzy Parks on on LinkedIn. So connect with me. Um, As far as resources go, um, there's a ton of different resources on YouTube. There's Mm -hmm. different personalities that offer them. There's um, Eric Coffey, GovCon Kid. There's, you know, I have a couple videos. I say you take a look, especially if this whole space is completely new. And what I also encourage that you do is you also look for um, different government groups on Facebook and LinkedIn. Believe it or not, there are a ton And so those are some really great resources to begin with. And then also, um, there's a really cool website. You usually can go on here a few times for free. It's called govtribe.com. And I'm not receiving anything for recommending any of these things. So please understand this is not some kind of paid pitch. These are actual things that I do. And so what I like about GovTribe is you can research other companies. Um, mm. You can check out some things that are out there. Again, f- for free, you can only see so much, but it, it's worth it because it's there's so many tools out there um, that I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed or feel like you have to pay a ton of money to use them because you don't. So be curious is also what I want to leave you with. This is a space 
where you benefit most when you're curious and you're humble. That is excellent advice to anybody (laughs) and um, love hearing that. And thank you for, for all of those examples. It sounds like just one of the key principles that you have is do your homework before before you try to enter this space and that homework doesn't have to be pay somebody you know ten thousand dollars to to help you certainly hiring a consultant like you who has a lot of experience is a good idea but um but you don't necessarily have to be you know paying for all kinds of resources and other things sounds like there's quite a lot that you can do for free there is there is a lot you can do for free and that's what's great and you have score you have a small business administration. There's there's one of them somewhere near where you live, or you could perhaps even connect with them over the phone. There's a ton of free resources out there. Just continuously hone your curiosity and humility. Definitely. Well, I have really enjoyed our conversation today, Kizzy. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Well, same here. This has been outstanding. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Kizzy and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 310. Make sure to tune into the podcast next week. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that. That way you'll get every new episode as soon as it's posted. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening right now. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help people discover the show. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email with direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!